Hey guys, welcome back to another special edition of Techish. Michael and Abadesi are taking a bit of a breather at the moment, but we will be back to normal next week. For now, we're going to go back to some old episodes, some highlights. Today we have a founder special on starting your startup, and we've got some really cool clips that will really help if you're just getting started. Remember, we've got the Techish Live Show November 14th, and tickets are now 65% sold. So make sure you click the link in the description to get your ticket now. First up, Michael and Abadesi talk about how to entice a CTO to join your startup. Hustle question, which I want to post to Abba because it's a context that I find myself in. Quite... <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a hustle th- answer. <laughs> yeah. So basically, like I'll get people reaching out to me saying, um, "Listen, I'm Michael, I've got this. I've got this no, that, that too. I've got this startup <laughs> idea. I'm looking for a CTO. What do I do? Oh my! And it's gosh. like I'm like. Oh. <sighs> If you had the most get, uttered phrase in the it's like I'm looking, yeah, it's so it commonly uttered, but I don't know what to say to people because I understand the predicament. It's difficult. Like ninety nine percent of MVPs do not need code. This is what really. Upsets but then the thing me. is, like, so for example, I won't give too much details, but these people had already built an MVP. They had paid for an MVP. Oh dear. Yeah, and it worked, oh and they were trying to raise money. So then they were like, "Do you know anyone like a potential CTO?" And I was like, "I can't ask in my network, but you know." It's very difficult, like, for me to go to people and say these guys have got. I don't know. It's hard. It's it's a very tough sell. Like, in order to to reel in a CTO, I've never had to do it. Because in the end, I just gave up. I said, you know what? I'm just going to learn to code because I just thought I'm sick of this. I'm sick of like having to be in that position of asking for things that people are not res- responsive or willing to help. Um, but not everyone's got the time to want to do that. Like, if you're a full time job, that's that might detour or you for you a whole other year. Skills and you want to be like the marketing right exactly. Person or whatever. But if you are going to go to somebody who's technical and, and try to pitch them to come on board, you have to be coming with a lot. Don't come to with an aid. Number one, don't come with an idea. Thank God these guys didn't do that. They were actually you know about their business. If you come with an idea, it's worthless because ideas are a dime a dozen. You don't think that that CTO potential person hasn't got their own ideas that they want to use. Come with something. Either whether it's a mock up at the very least, whether it's customers like actually that is probably more important this is the thing if so, you come with customers and you're like listen i've got people that are willing to give me money i've got the business model all figured out here's a mock-up are you willing to come on board then you're starting if you're coming with ideas get the hell out of it and even then if you've got customers you need you've just got to make it real you've got to have stuff on the table that's going to make the cto think i couldn't do this by myself do you know what i mean i need this person this person has some domain expertise you know, maybe they worked in a hedge fund and they've, they want, they've got this idea for a hedge fund software that's going to revolutionize the game. And I don't know anything about hedge funds and they've got customers lined up and they've got the network and they've got yeah. you know, everything. It's got to be like that. You can't just be like, guys, I want to build, you know, an app for dogs to be babysitted. I don't know. Dog sitting app. Something. <laughs> dog babysitting. Yeah. Dog, dog sitting app. Like, anyways. But so I wanted to ask this to you because you've been in that situation where you, and you wrote a really great article about, you know, i built my company without code basically right so what advice would you give to a founder that came to you and said i'm in this predicament what do i do funnily enough i had the exact same situation last week okay more common than i realized this it's ridiculously common i was at a geek girl meetup shout out geek girl meetup last thursday right yeah okay cool yeah so i was at their summer party and they did this thing speed pitching so they had like 22 people with one minute on stage half of the people were like hi I have an idea for an app that does blah 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 blah, and I'm looking for a CTO hi I have an idea for an app that does blah 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 I'm looking for a CTO literally every single one of those ideas which is still just at idea phase could create an MVP with no code they could create an MVP using card using Squarespace 
Product Hunt, the company I work for, mm. which was bought for millions and millions of dollars, a reported $20 million, started as an email chain, mm. literally a newsletter. Mm. Ryan Hoover sending out to a bunch of people, hey, these are the cool products that we're looking at. Mm. From there, you get seed funding or pre-seed or angel or whatever. Like, I don't know if it's a lack of education mm. about how to develop as a tech entrepreneur mm. um, or if people are quite egotistical about their ideas and mm. the grandness of their ideas yeah. that they feel that, you know, even things like zero code bubble.is, you can actually drag and drop to then create full stack code so mm. that if you did later want to jump into terminal and fool around with it or whatever yeah. you could. Yeah. So it's not even like when I say to people, you know, make an MVP with the tools available to you, I'm saying you are limited to things like Squarespace and WordPress. Not at all. Like if you need to make a chatbot, you, you can. can use Notion. Like there, there are so many tools out there that can let you build like relatively complex software. Like, okay, fair enough. Like if you're in like a very complicated vertical, do, doing something with like agriculture that requires hardware or doing something in biotech, you're splitting or atoms. Right now, or, or like- okay, Fine. In that case, yes, you do need a domain expertise. But let me tell you this. If you are coming up with an idea in one of those complicated verticals and you are not owning the expertise to do that anyway, you're in the wrong vertical. Like, I'm not going to, like, jump in and be like, I have this yeah. incredible idea for, like, some synthetic chemical. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you got to be the person with domain expertise saying that. So I guess, like, what my, what my advice is for people out there looking for a CTO or for people who often get that question, point people in the direction of the Lean Startup book. Like, I know Lean Startup isn't the only way of doing it, but it's mm. the most popular proven method that we have right now. Point them in the direction of that book or point them in the direction of Eric Rice, like Eric Rees, yeah. Eric Rees like videos on YouTube. Mm. Really push them mm. to come up with an MVP idea. Or, you know, if you're a founder looking for a CTO, push yourself to come up with an MVP. And if that MVP still needs code, strip it back, strip it back, strip it back. Ultimately, like for most people at the earliest stages, all you're trying to do is validate an idea with customer interest. Sometimes that can be as easy as a sign-up page. So Founders Factory, they're an accelerator here. Yeah. What they do before they start building anything is set up a landing page, brand it, and then write a few lines about what the product will do. Yeah. So it might be like, okay, cool, we're building a travel app where you pay a subscription fee of £30 a month, uh, and then you can go on holiday Are four you times interested? a year or whatever. Are you interested? Buy some Facebook ads. 20,000 people sign up in the first month. Okay, cool, we're going to build it now. Yeah. And similar things happen on Product Hunt with our product ship. You can build a landing page. This is what we're working on. How does this sound? If you're interested to find out more, subscribe here. Boom. It went from one person to 100 people to thousands of people. Now you're like, okay, cool. Now, with that list of 10,000 emails, you go and find an angel investor. Mm. You go on angel.co. I'm like plugging all my companies now. Mm. But like, like literally, you don't. You don't want to be the person, like Michael said, that only has an idea, doesn't have domain expertise, and does not have cash out there trying to hunt for engineers. Because let me tell you guys, supply and demand, the demand exceeds supply greatly. Yeah. And everyone wants the same thing. Hi, I want a full stack engineer. You don't even know what full stack means. <laughs> educate yourself. Educate yourself. I was no, killing sorry. me. I was like, killing me right now. No, but people are <laughs> people annoying are me. Because then, and, then I'm there, and then I'm like pushing them for more. I'm like, why do you need a full stack engineer? Oh, because I need to do this and I need to do that. And it's complicated and it's whatever. And I was like, no, it's not that complicated. I think that particular like scenario that you outlined, I feel like that comes with a lot of naivety. And when you're young, perhaps, where you've just... 
you've gone through school and everything has always just been like ABC right in front of you, as in the steps are logically there. Whereas this now of convincing somebody to believe in your vision, to do the hard homework of finding out how far can I go without this person? And then when I get to that stage, bring that person on board, it's really hard. It's not easy. Thankfully, the people that I was speaking to, um, that the original scenario that I brought up, they had built something but there were still things that they hadn't done. Like they didn't have a landing page. So I was like, what do I show people? Oh, we have the MVP, but they have to sign an NDA. I'm like, guys, you're making it difficult no, now. Have a landing on. page, right? How many signups do you have? Like you said, I didn't even tell them that they should have a landing page, run some Facebook ads and say, we've got 10,000 people already willing to use the app. Exactly. That is tangible. That is tangible. And it's difficult because most people that are CTO already have they don't well-paid want to work jobs. on your stupid idea for free. I'm sorry. I know you think your idea is great, but guess what? It's really not. Yeah, and they have well-paid jobs and they have their own ideas. <laughs> a quick, funny um, side tangent. When I was at university um, doing computer science and stuff, like a lot of engineers would go to like the Entrepreneur Society and like watch their like demo date and just like take their best ideas. What? <laughs> That's be, like, so cool. Yeah, it's so ruthless. I mean, I wouldn't do it, but there'll be people there with That's me. They'll, they'll be like, style. they'll be like, yeah, rocket internet style. They'll be like, oh, so we've got like a whole bunch of enthusiastic entrepreneurs that have ideas and they haven't got no CTOs to build. And they're probably like, okay, cool. What is this? Any good ideas? Cool. No, no, no. And then pop off and be like, let's try and build this. Nice. Hey, man, that's capitalism. It's capitalism. Nah, I'm joking. I don't, I don't sanction that whatsoever. But um, oh, I, I don't think there's any shame in that. No, but the. What, why that Your is, ideas are original. Why that's an interesting heuristic is because somebody shouldn't be able to leave that demo day pitch and just copy your idea. You should have something done already. Like, for example, I've got 10,000 emails. Exactly. People signed up, right? Group. Someone like me who's a hacker, I might hear that and be like, right, you've got a Facebook group, 10,000 people or emails? I can't be bothered to replicate that. Whereas if you're just going to be like, I need someone to write some code and I have got nothing else, no assets, no brand, no, you know, for example, look at Sharmadi and Reed. I'll give her as an example. She is not a technical uh, co-founder. She uh, had a nail salon, very capable entrepreneur, but she had a brand built up. She had equity built up in terms of who she was. She had a mm, platform. And a following. So she, and a following. So she could go to um, technical people and say, build this app without me. You're never going to get this, whatever you're going to build isn't going to reach the audience that I want to touch because I have access to this audience through my platform. Things like that. I'm not saying go out there and get 100,000 Instagram followers, but what I'm saying is have something that can't be replicated just by the engineer on their own. Because if they don't need you, why, why have you on board? Not sure whether to bootstrap or go for a fundraise? Michael and Abadesi talk about MailChimp's bootstrapping success. Very close to my heart. It really made me super happy. And it is about... An email service called MailChimp. Have you heard of it ever? Oh, have I? <laughs> of course, man. Yeah, everybody loves In MailChimp. Fact, Hustle Crew, CRM, it's all on MailChimp. I yeah. love MailChimp. MailChimp is the truth. Actually, so I read an amazing article about the founder, actually, the two co-founders. And the company is actually now valued at a billion dollars. And you oh might say, my. like... But I mean, you might say, like, I mean, how many tech companies are valued at a billion? But this is one that is completely bootstrapped. So... You know me, I'm always like rooting for the bootstrap founders. They've done, mm. they're at like around $600 million in revenue. Um, they're completely in the black, so they're profitable. The valuation is around $4.2 and there is two owners, 50% each. That is wow. gold. Wow, wow, you are. Slice me off a piece of that pie. Yeah, I think part of the reason why I also love it is just, I'll put the article in the show notes. It's just really amazing that they started off as a side project. It wasn't their first startup. They'd failed quite a few times. So this one started off as a side project and then... 
they only left their jobs once they had reached a certain level of users. Like, so I feel like there's so many lessons here for founders in, in that sense where you always think, oh, I've got to leave my job. I've got to, you know, go full fledged. And if it doesn't work straight away, then it's not really, you know, doing anything. I think MailChimp was only making a few thousand dollars a month for a long period of time before they actually went full time. I think even like yeah. three, four years. So yeah, like, six years. So they launched in 2001. And then it was in 2007 when they finally hit 10K users that they decided to commit to it full time. So that's also a lesson in this idea of like, Everyone always sees such a short timeline Real talk. in the startup world. Like, yeah. oh, five years, then you're exiting or whatever. Real and like, talk. They, they were working for six years before they even went full time. Six years before full time, not even six years to exit. Six years before we started. Some people seriously. listening weren't even born when this company started. Wow, I feel old. <laughs> <laughs> yes, real talk though. I mean, actually, you did an article recently that I really loved. But you, you, it was mainly a review of your time at Product Hunt, your first year. Shout out to that, actually, quite, by the way. Thank you. But it was like, I like the line you said about, you know what, like, it's not a failure to go from full-time venture to side hustle if, for example, you have to go back into work yeah. to pay the bills if, you know, if you're bootstrapping. So, like, do you want to speak on that, like, and, and enlighten the people about yeah, what you meant by that? definitely. Um, bootstrapping is such a challenge. And like you said, in this MailChimp story, we realized that bootstrapping is is a good way to go if you have a sustainable business model and you have good audience but it takes time it really takes time yeah, it's a slow burn. to to become sustainable as a bootstrap business one of the luxuries that venture backed founders have is that from day 1 they can pay themselves a salary they can yeah. continue to have benefits they can have an office and basically function like a normal professional normal human being yeah, we'll talk. um when i wrote my last medium post um a sort of five lessons that I've learned in my first year working at Product Hunt. The, the first lesson that came out of that was the fact that quitting working on your startup full time is not failure. Mm. And then sometimes it can actually help you. And yep. when I was first thinking about what I would do next, so this was like at the end of year one of Hustle Crew, mm. I'd been bootstrapping, I'd been through an accelerator, I'd met with a number of investors. Mm. I hadn't closed funding and I was sort of at a crossroads you mm. know do I keep trying to pivot mm. um do I listen to this feedback which is basically don't focus on inclusion and diversity wow um that's what most investors were telling me they're like you're limiting yourself you're limiting yourself you know and and I, I understand where they were coming from to some extent because they're looking at your company's thinking, can you be turning over $400 million in revenue in the next yeah. five years? Now, don't get me wrong, loads of companies get VC funding that aren't anywhere near close to that. Yeah, real talk. Okay, or never but will. anyway, let's put that to one side. But for me, I said, you know, I cannot compromise on the vision of being a company that's about making tech more inclusive. That's yeah. about using my story to connect with other people that can relate. And that's when I thought, okay, I'm going to have to find a job because London is expensive and I wasn't yeah. willing to really make any other sacrifices. And particularly just in terms of personal finances, I used up most of my savings really. Yeah. And I was like, I don't really feel secure of course not. going into another year like this. So now, fast forwarding a year later, having taken on full-time work and become the side hustler and trying mm. to balance all these things and all these projects, one thing that I never, ever, ever expected was that becoming a part of the Product Hunt Angels team could open more opportunities for Hustle Crew. Mm. But even from when I joined Product Hunt, which is owned by Angelist, immediately the CEO of Angelist engaged me in a conversation, was like, you know, what can we do to leverage this awesome. content, leverage that community. Um, and it's been incredible. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, if you're finding yourself in that position, if you might be at a crossroads, mm. you quit full-time work, you went into bootstrapping, and now you're just not quite sure. You know, if if your priority is 
to recreate some stability yeah. in your personal finances. Side hustler route is a respectable route. Yeah, because not every company is going to be an overnight success. It's going to be a slow burn. So how do you get, how do you survive while that slow burn is happening? Yeah, I think another good example as well is like Alison Esposito of Higher Tech Ladies. Okay. Higher Tech Ladies is a women in tech community. It's a media company now. They mm -hmm. create content about, you know, women's careers. They also have a jobs board, which is how they monetize their okay. work. They have paid for events. They partner with companies. Mm -hmm. She actually started this community while she was working at Google, being very aware of the fact that they had, you know, not a great pipeline of women candidates coming in. Mm. Started as a Facebook group, developed into an email list. She's now working on this full-time hiring a team of like eight people. Wow. So again, side hustle into sustainable business. I think, unfortunately, not everyone is going to have employers who are as progressive as you know, product hunt and angel list. I know a lot of people that are working at companies where the side hustle is a secret because That's the, true. the employers are like, oh, you know, we don't want distractions. We want yes. you to focus on the overall vision. So hopefully you can get an employer who's as progressive as a product hunt and angel list have been to Abadesi. Um, and our understanding of the fact that you have other goals and ambitions. You know, it's difficult because I've heard other founders say the opposite where like I didn't really take off until I went full time. But I think those founders have ended up raising money. So it's a different context and... As a bootstrap founder, everything's going to be very specific to your journey. Agreed. I yeah. think I think that's the main point to remember. Yeah. It's all about the context. And also, like even for your mental health, like how terrible is it when you've run out of savings and you can't go out with your friends? You can no longer enjoy yourself. Exactly. Like you're losing weight. Like I've been there. Like you're thinking to yeah. yourself, I can't even afford. It. Like it's terrible. It's and trash. It's like that's that anxiety that comes with socializing. Like oh, I'm how's the company doing? On the, yeah. How's yeah. The and you're like great. And you're like I haven't fed myself in two days. But, yeah. yeah. Great. Like or like little things like your favorite <laughs> artist is coming to town, but you can't afford to spend forty quid on the ticket. Yeah. And then a part of you goes, what am I doing this work for? Because so many of us mm. want to become entrepreneurs, not only to, you know, change the world to our vision, but also to make money. Like yeah. it's capitalism. Yeah, 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 We're yeah, trying to win. Yeah, yeah, of course. So it can be really difficult when you find yourself in that position where you're like, I'm working a lot, but I'm not creating capital. Of course. What's going wrong? Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyways, yeah, fascinating story. Um, Salute to MailChimp. These guys have built a substantial business. Yeah, ginormous Because of the scalability that you could achieve online, you know, and the untapped market they had of kind of small businesses, they were able to maintain control and scale up to a, a ginormous company. And I commend them. I think there's something to be said about authenticity as well, because there have been quite a few write-ups about MailChimp over the last few years, just because they are, in many ways, an outlier. Yeah. There aren't really that many unicorns that came from such humble beginnings True. and had that longer trajectory. And also, they are not in the valley. Right? They're in Atlanta. They're in Atlanta. ATL, baby. So, you know, that's again, like, there's so many elements to the story which just make them stand out. Um, but one thing I'll say that comes through in all of the stories that you read is this sense of, like, authenticity with mm. the leadership. Mm. Um, they, the last long form piece I read, they had also spoken to employees and people were just like, you know, they're just like ordinary, realistic folk. Mm. They can understand our customers' needs mm. and they've always built that into the product. Um, one last point actually I want to make is um, Ben Chestnut, who's the founder. People were commending him because they were like, this guy's got like 900 Instagram followers. <laughs> and he's a millionaire. Like, and it's like, there's something Props. about that where you're like, you've got to appreciate that hustler that's keeping his head low to the ground and he's not really out here just like trying to be, you know, and I, I do it myself, but you know, like, it's, I like when you see someone who's just a pure executioner and they don't do anything in terms of promoting themselves and it's just all about building the company and they just keep their head that's low. That's silent billionaire. Yeah, that's silent. what I'm dreaming about, man. That is the dream. That is the dream. When yeah, you can anyways. still like go to the cinema, no one recognizes you. That's the one. Yeah, but you're going back home in your Uber Lux. Yeah, there we go. <laughs>
This episode is sponsored by Guru. Guru is reinventing knowledge sharing, providing verified information from experts on your team, where you work and when you need it most. They are hiring on pocket jobs with roles in San Fran and Philadelphia. Link in the show notes. It's never too late to get started, but sometimes you can feel that you're too old. Am I too old to start coding or to be doing a startup? I want to talk about a tweet that I published. This would be a week ago now, and it seemed to catch on. A lot of people could resonate with what I was saying. So I tweeted, I learned to code at 24, and I felt like I was ancient at the time. And then I left my uh, full-time employment at 27 to start a business, and I felt like I was super ancient at the time. And how, in hindsight, both, both of those thoughts were absolutely ridiculous and just complete BS, but I was convinced of it. And obviously I was convinced of it because the dominant media narrative was learn to code at 13 and, you know, I was writing basic and I'm a whiz kid. And then even entrepreneurship wise, it was like, yeah, I started my company when I'm 19 and now I'm a billionaire. So it's like how harmful media narratives can be, even though they seem kind of innocuous, it really can F you up in the head. You know what I mean? Like, so if anyone's listening to this, just maybe ease up on the amount of content you're reading and just focus on doing you. And it's never too late, really. Yeah, I think it's really important to remember that, especially if you're from an underrepresented background, the, le- the, the playing field isn't level. 100%. And a lot of the people that have had meteoric rises to fame have more privileges than the ordinary average person. 100%. So when we start to compare ourselves to that trajectory and fail to take into account all of the hurdles, you know, the visible ones, the invisible ones that we have to jump to get there. We're basically just doing ourselves a disservice. Mm. And I'd even link that to a a quote from a pocket article that I was reading earlier today. Mm. I forget the name of the interviewee, but she was basically saying, we need to stop having this harmful narrative around stepping out of your comfort zone to grow. Oh yeah, I don't know what Because about, for but... underrepresented people, let's say being a black woman in a mostly white male startup, even just showing up mm. is already so far out of our comfort zone. Mm. Just showing up to do the role that I was hired to do mm. and deal with the microaggressions, the feelings of exclusion mm. is already such a battle. 100%. That the fact that I can do that and function and be sane mm. and healthy mm is already a stretch and an achievement, mm. let alone now I'm going to push myself out of my comfort zone and carve out new challenges and yeah. and exciting oh yeah, things. I remember Googling, going on Quora, and every learning to code article on Quora was like, I'm 25 years old, am I too old? I'm 28 years old, am I too old? And it's like, so what's making us think those, those things? Like, where does, that, where does that stem from? Where do you think it stems from? We're ageist. Yeah, the industry we is very ageist. We are in an ageist society. And, and industry, particularly. And, and industry, yeah, definitely. There's this idea that tech is new and innovative and only young people can have new and innovative ideas. But yeah. that's completely false because if you actually look at the average age of founders that are raising series A, B, C, D rounds, they're in their 40s. Real talk. Like the average? Yeah. So yeah, we need to stop being ageist. It's that whole cyclical media thing where on the one hand, we say it's the media. Like the media is always judging people who are older and like showering us with all these images, but we're also the ones clicking it. Yeah, we'll And the media just reflects ourselves. So I think we, and I'll hold myself to account, I as an individual need to be less ageist. Oh, you would say you're ageist? Yeah. What makes you say that? You, you just the other day tweeted saying you're old. Right. No, I didn't say That's I was ages. old. I didn't say I was old. Yes, did I say did. I was old? Well, how sweet. It when? was like a tweet. You like tweeted something and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I thought I was ancient. I called myself. Yeah, but I was saying I thought I was old. 
but young. I wasn't. Is what and I'm saying. And now you realize you're young. Uh, I mean, see, listen, see? hold on. See? Let me let me break this down. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being your age. I'm 30 years old, like, but the distinction I'd make is when you say that I'm 30, therefore I can't do X. That's the problem. It's not about acknowledging right. how old you are. And even if you are old, even if you're 60 years old, acknowledging that you're old doesn't necessarily, you shouldn't therefore say, I can't do... Try something new. Exactly. Or take uh, risks. Or take risks, okay? It's also about risk appetite, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And even like starting my own business, like starting to do pocket, I was working for people that were younger than me. It's like the startup I was at, they were probably about three years younger than me. So... Sometimes even the reality in front of you is enough to confuse you about those kind of things. I thought, ma, these guys started when they were 21. They didn't even go to university. I've, you know, got a master's degree. Like, I'm maybe just, maybe I'm an academic and maybe I'm not cut out for this. Yeah. And like, I, I've passed my window to do, to do the young startup thing. Like, and it was all bullshit. And it's sometimes you have to remember the kind of neurotic thoughts that you had at the time yeah. to kind of quell your current neurotic thoughts, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So when we're we started this podcast... Yeah, we are. When we started this podcast, I was like, I talk too fast. I talk in slang. Who's going to want to listen to me? Right. Mm. Then I had to Good think. question. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You, you've had to stomach almost 20 episodes worth, innit? Right. So I thought, I shouldn't do this podcast. No one's going to want to hear what I've got to say. Right. So I had to go back and think. There was a time when I was afraid to do what I'm currently doing. So fuck it. Michael and Abadesi talk about what's better, one founder or two? What VCs often tell you, which is that you need two co-founders, the data doesn't oh, yeah. bear that out. Yeah, yeah. You only need, well, you don't only need, statistically mm. speaking, one founder can oftentimes do much better than uh, what is recommended, which is two co-founders. Now, even for example, like YC, damn email, sorry. I think even like YC. Yeah. Um, Paul Graham actually has an essay about this. I'm right. They won't sure. even let you in. They only want, they only want to back two co-founders essentially. Minimum, yeah. Right? They make exceptions, but it's very, very rare. Right. Exactly. So common thesis is that you need more than one person per team mm. which makes sense obviously if you're building a software startup you might want a, an engineering person and you might want a business development person and a yeah. sales person so i kind of understand the logic behind it but it's not borne out by the data it actually says here that and i can speak on this firsthand because i've been in a situation where we started pocket people of color uh, with two co-founders mm. myself and ruth who was amazing i'm not going to cast ruth whatsoever it's nothing nothing to do with that but it's more of the principle of when you have co-founders it's like a marriage mm. and not everyone is going to have the same vision in a marriage oh, of what their life is going to be preach, like. You're not getting twisted, right? And sometimes mm. that tension can make the situation unworkable. And you might have to just say, listen, and this wasn't what happened with me and Ruth. We just parted ways because she had different priorities and she wanted to do other things, which is fair enough. But I've also been in previous situations as well where I've seen other co-founders and it's like, you have to get a divorce and that can kill the baby. I've heard so many mm. stories of people, of co-founders separating and a yeah. great idea is left by the wayside. And one yeah. co-founder is like, well, you can't keep on working on this because mm. this was my baby as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, whoa, that was an amazing idea though. So yeah. why have you stopped? Anyways. Um, yeah, I mean, this article says solo founders. So this is um, MIT. MIT Sloan School. So it must research. be true. MIT, <laughs> baby. Yeah, it must be true. Solo, MIT said it. <laughs> solo founders are twice as likely to succeed in business as co-founders. So maybe it's time venture capitalists reconsider their assumptions about what makes a dream team. I think what's really interesting about this as well is like, again, like I feel like this season is going to be all about me talking about power and like how, how we think about power. But Season to, three, power. Yeah, so cool. power. <laughs> 50 Cent's going to be angry. You'll be like, yo, Abba, I got a show called Power. You better sue us. slap down. Sorry, Fiddy. Anyway, uh, yeah, sorry, Fiddy. I'll meet you in the club. Um, <laughs> what I was going to say was... <laughs> Basically, VCs, right, because they they do hold the purse strings, 
they get to say a lot of things as if those things are science or facts right, or best yeah. practice when a lot of those things are actually just like driven by their own motivations or incentives. And when when you read about why two founders are better from one from VCs, and when I've had conversations with VCs in the past, so for example, I was an incubator similar to you. I started Hustle Crew with Natalie. Um, Natalie's priorities changed when she went to Oxford Internet Institute. So I became a solo founder. And I remember the investor partners being like, you need to find another co-founder. You need to replace her ASAP. Like, I don't know if we can keep working with you if you don't find her. Wow. In the absence of having the extra resource, I just like leaned into contractors and, fr- and interns right. and stuff like that. Yeah. But I was actually able to like make decisions a lot quicker because there yep. was no tension and you know even at product hunt for example like i work with ryan hoover and he's a solo founder and i think what vcs don't really admit is the reason why and 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 some of them actually do admit this when you push mm. them the reason why they prefer to have more than one co-founder is because people are really likely to quit in the first few years of a startup right, right. and when you invest in something and there's only one founder and then they quit that's your money gone yeah. but if you invest in something and there's more than one founder and one founder quits there's still someone to keep it running completely or so, if one gets hit by a bus well yeah exactly yeah. or 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 whatever so like it, it's actually kind of like selfish of course in terms of protecting their investment but not necessarily like oh it is a truth in terms of who will succeed and i'm so glad this research comes out because i know a lot of people who are solo founders and they just cannot find a co-founder like particularly from our communities because there's so much that's required to work on a startup full-time in terms of financial security and, and freedom and all this kind of stuff and it makes me really sad when i see people in forums or in our communities talking about being turned down from investment because they can't find a co-founder it's like look i have tried i can't do it but i've still been able to get an mvp go to market create monthly recurring revenue despite all of those things and you still won't give me money right that's annoying it's annoying and i think because like i said i believe that a co-founder relationship is like a marriage it's very difficult to just create that out of thin air so so say to an entrepreneur who's built a product who has got a vision i'll just go find a co-founder bro that's like saying to me go find a wife overnight like that's not necessarily going to happen we're not gonna necessarily. I'm not gonna necessarily find somebody with the same chemistry or um, that is aligned with my vision. Now, the article. One thing you know, because you know, in TechEdge, we gotta do second layer analysis. So mm. they their data is based off Kickstarter founders. So so Kickstarter founders are normally. And this is a massive generalization, but I feel like Kickstarter founders are not always working on software products. They're working on hardware, hardware, or stuff. like content, for example. In that situation, I can understand why a solo founder makes more sense. Mm. Now, with software, if you don't have a CTO on your team, so if yeah. you're a business development CEO type person, yeah. it makes it a lot more expensive for the investor. So if I give you 200K to mm. run a company, yeah. and you're a solo founder who's just a, a, a business salesperson, yeah. you've got to then hire an engineer. Mm. And then you've got to keep paying that person's salary That's true. or get a contractor, and the money burns quicker. Yeah. So there is an internal logic. I'm not disputing why VCs think this way. But I just want there to be, I'm glad this data exists because I want there to be uh, a counterpoint which says, actually, let's slow down and think about it and not, just like play, and not just work on what we've always done. Yeah. And so much in life, and most of the mistakes in life happen is because this is how it's always been done. Yep. Right. And that's, that's, that's my thoughts on it, really. History repeats itself, people. Let's challenge Hope you enjoyed that episode and got a lot from that. Remember to join in on the conversation. That's hashtag techish. Review this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you hear this. Five stars, please. And remember, we've got the live show. So that's Techish Live Show, November 14th in London. The Eventbrite link is in the bio, so make sure you get your tickets now. Follow Abadesi and Michael Bahane. Check the show notes for more. Peace.